Welcome back, guys, to another episode of In the Zone. I am Chris Martelli here alongside Giancarlo Aulino and Anthony Pinello. And today we have a lot to cover. We will start with some hockey. Um, as we all know, that free agency is still very much going on. But as we get closer to October, we will be talking more and more about our top 10 players by position. So today we're going to start off this little, you know, series top 10 defensemen in the NHL. It is a very hard position to play. Um, I know a lot of us have different opinions on defensemen, but today we're going to start with this. So I'm going to start with Giancarlo Alino. Alino, what are your thoughts on the defensemen in the NHL and who are your top 10? I'm going to just, it's changed a lot over the last few years. We saw a lot more emphasis on the offensive defensemen coming up, getting a lot of points. Uh, a lot of the defensive defensemen are like being phased out of it because of the skating of the game, the pace of it. So there has been that shift in more of a two-way guy. So with my number 10 in the NHL right now, I'm going to go with Ryan Ellis of the Natural Predators. Oh, I like that. Uh, I was If we were making a video of most underrated defensemen, to me he's up there. I think Ryan Ellis does not get the appreciation that he deserves. We all saw him in the World Juniors, how good he was. And uh, was it last year or two years ago he had his best offensive season? And now with P.K. Subban gone, I think his role is even going to increase. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, I like Ryan Ellis at 10. Good Canadian kid. Sticking with the offense here. Uh, yeah, my number 10, I got Tori Krug. Oh, okay. Who I think is very underrated defensively. Uh, he consistently puts up 50 points. He's still in his 20s. He's been a staple on Boston since he came into the 2014 playoffs and uh, given the Americans some love. And then this ends with me, my number 10 from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Morgan Riley. Had a monstrous year this year. I think his two-way game is only improving. And um, honestly, he's emerged as one of the more offensive defensemen in the league again, though. His defensive game doesn't get enough love, and he's playing against the best competition night in, night out, and he's the number one stud on the Leafs blue line. Um, for number nine, it was tough for me. I was really thinking about it, but I got to go with P.K. Subban at number nine. I think when this guy is healthy, he can do it all. He's a great defensive defenseman at times, but man, his shot, and he's a great power play quarterback, and what we saw with him in Montreal, especially you know when he won the Norris a couple years back, People were even arguing he's a top five defenseman, but there's way too many good guys. I have him at number nine. I have P.K. Subban also at number nine. I just don't think he's at that number one and two anymore. Uh, for a good like three years, he was in that Norse conversation, but uh, now his role has changed a little bit. He's trying to be more of a defensive guy, still putting up the points, but I think right now where everyone else has evolved, P.K. Subban is just... Right, evened in, maybe going down a little bit offensively. His stats aren't as what they used to be, but I have him at number nine. Still a good top ten. Number nine, I have Morgan Riley. Okay. Who, uh, coming off a 70-point year, like you said, he had 55 the year before. He's one of those guys we saw when we drafted him. He was supposed to be nothing more than a straight-fire offensive D. And the way he's progressed coming into the league, Babcock threw him into that shutdown role and you can really see the progression. It's been a beautiful thing to watch as a Leaf fan. We don't have a lot of nice things. Now we have tons of them. Morgan Riley is going to be a staple for the Leafs for, for uh, another 10 years. 
Um, number eight to me was a very tough one. Uh, I almost had him outside. Um, Pinello, I know you're a big fan of this guy. Last couple of years, he's put up crazy offensive numbers. John Carlson's my number eight defenseman. Um, like a couple of years ago, I actually thought he was a little overrated. I think he had like 55 and like 70 that one year, kind of like a Shattenkirk type number, but he's only gotten better since then. And damn, they won a cup. So I could finally put him above that. And um, I think John Carlson, yeah, even though he's feeding the puck to Ovi on the power play, man, he's solidified himself as a number one defenseman on a franchise. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Morgan Riley, just a little over the top 10. Uh, for those reasons, when he got drafted, he was in that class with Neil Yakupov, Ryan Murray, and a lot of people were saying, like, <laughs> Ryan Burke going up to the thing, that famous clip, he's like to Batman, we got him at first overall. And Batman just nodded that bobblehead. He's like, okay, yeah, that's good. You got your guy. But now if you redraft everyone in that order, Morgan Riley does go first overall. So he's a hard worker. He's constantly improving offensively. Defensively, we saw this year what he's able to do. He's only making like $5 million, five and a half. So a really good contract. And he keeps getting better. And I think maybe this year he could have a C on that jersey. So the funny thing is I have him at 10. Pinello has him at nine, and Alino has him at eight. So, Pinello, what's your number eight? This was a tough one for me. It was either this guy or P.K. Subban, who I left off my list. I have John Klingberg here. Okay. So, very similar to guys like Riley and Krug and maybe like a Tyson Berry. They're very underrated defensively because they're so good offensively. And, you know, that's their game and that's what everything looks. Uh, everybody looks at. He's been the number one guy in Dallas for the last five years. He plays uh, really important minutes, puts up a lot of points. He was solid in the playoffs this year. Still in his mid-20s, I think. Remember when he first came into the league, everyone was saying he's the next like Eric, uh, Eric Carlson. So I still think he's got a ton left. And number eight on my list. I think uh, when you look at John Klingberg, especially when he came in the league in 2014-15 and he had 46 and like 60, I think he was like fourth in, uh, in uh, Calder voting he just emerged as that defenseman. You look at him and it's like, holy shit, this guy is just going to get 60 points every single year. He's going to play 24 minutes a night. And now they even have a guy like Amiro Heiskin in with him. I wouldn't be surprised if we do this list next year and I have John Klingberg on it. Um, that's a spoiler. I don't have him on my top 10, but he's a hell of a player. And uh, yeah, he's been a big part of their blue line and a big reason why they've actually made the playoffs this year. So I like that selection at number eight. My number seven, I'm very, very high on him. A lot of people have said to me, I think you're kind of overrating this player a bit. He's not the oldest player, but I have Seth Jones at number seven. I think this guy, honestly, when all the pieces come together in his game, I honestly think he could be a top three defenseman in the league. Like all the hype around him when he got drafted, they were saying he was battling McKinnon number one. And we all know how good Nathan McKinnon is, arguably a top three talent in the league. So to me, Seth Jones has all the talent, all the skills to be one of the best defensemen in the league. Only 24 years of age. He's got a lot of room to grow. He's my number seven. We got the same number seven. I just think Seth Jones is like evolving right now. We saw Columbus this year in the playoffs. Uh, they swept Tampa Bay. He was a big part of you that. You called that. Yeah, just <laughs> playing on the back end. And uh, he had to deal with those guys like Kucherov coming in. And he was part of that shutdown pairing. So Seth Jones, to me, really stepped it up put in another gear this year i got seth jones at number seven already (laughs) (laughs) 
at seven, I got John Carlson. Okay. Who, uh, you know, first five, six years he stepped into the league, he's, he's just kind of like a, you know, you know who he was. He was an average defender, and then over the last two, three years, he's really exploded, putting up like 55, 68, and then 70 points over the last couple of years. Finally, a Stanley Cup champion. He's around 30 years old, so he's in his prime now. He's he's got a he's got some time left to do some damage. Um, my number six. A lot of people are m- probably going to disagree with me. Um, he was a Norris winner multiple time. I think Norris winner. Um, Drew Doughty is number six for me. A couple years ago, I would have had him number one. Uh, it's nothing to do with LA and where they are. It's about how how people have just surpassed him. And Drew Doughty, to me, outstanding defenseman. He's that two-way defenseman. He, a lot of people even say he's a franchise defenseman. I honestly think he is. But the last couple of years, I don't know what it's been. I don't see him as that top three caliber defenseman anymore. I know the window was very short. But again, that is what happens. You know, the league is getting younger. A lot of guys are getting better at a younger age. And Drew Doughty is now at, I think, 27, 28 years of age on arguably leaving his prime now because his skating has always been kind of the cause of concern. But other than that, Drew Doughty to me is an absolute stud on the blue line. And he's basically a, one of the only bright spots in L.A. So to me, Drew Doughty a couple years ago, arguably maybe one. To me, this year, number six. I'm going to go with uh, another, maybe someone that might debate, Shea Weber at number six. I just think... Because Montreal, where he is, they didn't make the playoffs, but when he's in the lineup, he just changes the whole dynamic of that team. That shot he has is scary to be in front of. He can put up like over 20 goals as a defenseman. Uh, he's a power, uh, on the power play, just shuts down uh, the other team when they try to counterattack and go into the net. And then he's able to score on the power play, quarterback a power play, and he's a good leader in the room. I got Shea Weber. Number six, I got Eric Carlson. Oh, wow. In my mind, is still the best offensive defenseman in the league. It does not matter what team he plays for. He'll always go point per game. Uh, for me, his offensive instincts kind of cancel out his defensive uh, liabilities, we'll say. He's kind of like an average defender. He gets a lot of flack. But if, if you have the puck like 90% of the game, does it really matter? I want to just say a couple of things. Shea Weber, to me, he was honorable mention for me. Um, if he never got injured, yeah, probably be in the top 10 for me. Um, Eric Carlson, number six. See, it's funny because I have Drew Doughty at six and you have Eric Carlson at six, and they're arguably both like the top three defensemen. Uh, it's crazy to say, but again, I like Eric Carlson, really weird player for me. Like offensively, he's like on the, he's on the same level as like a Nick Lidstrom. Like he's a wizard and then defensively a lot of people just bash him time and time again oh he's doing this wrong doing this wrong you got to remember what he did three years ago for ottawa that guy alone three years ago arguably was the second best player in hockey so eric carlson being a number six is actually uh it's a nice surprise for me i like that but going now into our top five this was like it's getting harder every time it goes up for me number five it's the captain on nashville roman yossi to me is number five He's a guy that's just getting better every single year in his role this year, especially now with PK gone. I, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if this guy gets 65 to 70 points, plays 25 minutes, and shuts down the team's best players. Roman Yossi is, to me, one of the perfect defensemen in the game. 
not a lot of flaws. He's number five for me. Number five for me is Eric Carlson because I think he slipped from – he was to me like the best defenseman that you could probably – if you had a free agency fantasy draft, you would want to have him because of the points he puts up. But uh, with the injuries, he's kind of slowed down a little bit. So from that, I'm going to put him down to five. But I would like to see him next year now that he has a uh, contract now. He's comfortable in San Jose. He knows he doesn't have to worry about the next free agency. I want to see what a healthy Eric Carlson could do because now San Jose is in a position where they can actually go for a cup. Number five, I have Seth Jones. I'm pretty surprised I had this guy the highest on my list because I know you're really high on him. You know, uh, there's not a whole lot to say. You guys covered it already. 24 years old. He's still there's still so much more to be shown. He's uh, I think he's going to be a consistent 55 to 65 point defenseman. You know, with Wierenski over there. They got a couple of pillars on D, and I think Jones will be one of the best defensemen in the league. Oh yeah, very soon. Um, for me, number four, just won a cup. Alex Petrangelo. Uh, everything he does to me just screams excellence. Like that guy, he's a leader. He shuts down everybody. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, he's not the greatest offensive defenseman. He'll get you like 40, 45. But man, it's not really. Sometimes it's not all about the points. It's about what you do all around. And Petrangelo to me is a better Ryan Suter. And um, we all know that Ryan Suter plays around 27 minutes a night. He's one of the more workhorses in the game. And Petrangelo this year, I think he was third in ice time behind guys like probably Burns and Doughty. But Petrangelo just won a cup. He led them to a cup, um, their first cup ever. And to me, that's a huge, significant uh, upgrade. And Petrangelo, guys, honestly. Um, don't be surprised if he gets 60 next year because I still feel he does have that offensive ability. A lot of people just kind of kind of like what we think of Carlson defensively. I think a lot of people think of Petrangelo offensively. They kind of just forget about his offensive game. And I think Petrangelo is one of those defensemen that every time he steps on the ice, he's going to make you pay and he's a very dangerous player. Yeah, I'm going to go with Roman Yossi for that spot for me because Ooh. like you said, bro, Ryan Suter, uh, when he was on Nashville – like and he left they were like okay we're a little upset but we still got Shea Weber Roman Yossi and all these other guys then Shea Weber they were comfortable in trading him and then PK Subban right now the reason why they traded him also and felt comfortable with it because they have Roman Yossi there and he's going to be that concept for Nashville he's uh, improved every year and just wait till he has to get paid because that number is going to probably surpass a lot of some of these defensemen we're all going to probably be talking about how crazy this league is but Roman Yossi in that spot for me. Number four, I have Alex Petrangelo, consistent 50-point defenseman. He's been in the league for over 10 years. He's seen a lot of different versions of that Blues team and, you know, finally winning with the team he has now. One of the best D in the league. You know, like I said, he's 30 years old. I still think he'll be he – could, he could still be in the top 10 for a defenseman for another five years, I think. He's just a steady player. Anything you need, you can get from him. So top five player. Now we go into the top three. Um, my number three, you guys already said this guy, Eric Carlson, number three for me. Um, besides the fact you guys all mentioned, you know, his offensive gifting and, you know, he's a wizard with the puck. Not a lot of D get 80 points and play 25 plus minutes. So I'm going to take that into consideration and I'm taking Eric Carlson any day on my team, even though he just signed a pretty ridiculous contract. I think a guy like Eric Carlson could easily make the San Jose Sharks your Stanley Cup champions next season. So I have Eric Carlson at number three. I'm going to go with uh, Eric Carlson's 
partner there, Brent Burns, at number three, because I can see him. He can go on forward and score a bunch of points. He can go on defense and just score another bunch of points and adapt with Vlasic and all these other guys, go on the power play, do whatever you need him to do. He's a defenseman you kind of want. He's a big guy. He can throw the body. He can skate well. So Brent Burns, number three. Yeah, I got the exact same guy, number three. Not much to say now. <laughs> Brent Burns, eh? But. Well, as we get, you know, it's it's kind of tough. But, yeah, for me, number two is Brent Burns. Um, that guy, you know, just I, I hate talking about him, like praising him consistently because he's like 33. He's the oldest on this list, too. Um, and, like, he had 83 points this last season. And even though scoring is up, Getting 80 points as a defenseman, especially in the West, is just, that seems like it's almost impossible to do. And this guy, time and time again, he's just aging like fine wine. He's getting better with age. And Brent Burns, to me, man, I don't even know what he could do with a full season with Eric Carlson. When so, do you uh, see him slowing down? Want, the last three years, he keeps getting better. I want to, okay, so was it three years ago when he had like 30 goals or two years ago? Because I th- that was the year I thought, okay, like he can't get better than that. Like he like he was 32 or whatever. I'm like, okay, this is his peak. And then he had 83 this year, and Carlson was injured for like I think t- like 15 games. So I can only imagine what he does this upcoming season if Carlson's healthy all year. Don't be surprised if he gets like 85. Um, I, I know he's what I think he's 34 now. I'll say he'll slow down maybe in two seasons. God, and that's when they move him back to forward. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, I don't know what your number two is. Is it Drew Doughty? I didn't have Drew Doughty on my list just because of I just, LA. Like their performance to me is like he's a big part of that team. So for that, I took him out of the top ten. I put him at eleven, just coasting in there. But my number two, Alex Petrangelo, because he had to really gear up uh, in January. This team was a bottom of the league. He's the leader. He played like everything he had on the ice. He's amazing offensively. Still, I think has another, like you said, five more years probably where he can perform at this level. So Alex Petrangelo winning the cup this year puts him at number two. My number two is Roman Yossi, who in my opinion is the hardest defenseman to play against because he's just so he's so quick and he's so fast in, in certain areas where other players are not. He's had double-digit goals every year since coming into the league. They got rid of Weber, and they moved Subban just so they can try to sign this guy eventually. They're already pre-planning to get him signed. It's still another year away. I just think this guy's amazing. So number one, we it's safe to say we all have Victor Hedman, number one. I had Eric Goodbranson. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy had Eric Goodbranson, the third overall pick, as a stud. Uh, yeah, but Victor Hedman, best two-way defenseman in the game, hands down. Like it, To me, it's not even a question. I know when he got drafted third overall in 2009, a lot of people just, they were praising this guy. They're like, this guy's the next Nick Lidstrom. He's going to carry the uh, NHL, um, the defense, for the next decade. And, you know, the first couple of years, he was kind of a project. Took him a little long, but I remember I had him in that fantasy. He had 55 and 70 that year, and then he did not look back ever since. I think last year he had like 70 or 60, or maybe the year before that he had 70. Playing on the top power play, shutting down the other team's opponents. A lot of people kind of overrate him, too. Uh, like, a lot of people say, oh, he plays, you know, power play. His offensive game isn't as polished as, like, a Carlson or a Burns. But 
man, what he does defensively, like it to me, he's just a rock. And he's also six foot four. He could skate like the wind. There's not a lot of flaws in his game. And to me, he's been number one for me for the last two years. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a full package kind of guy. There are very few players in the league that are that big and can move like that. And uh, people will say, like, he's on the power play, but, like, all great players are on the power play with other great players. So I don't that, – that argument kind of doesn't make much sense to me. But, yeah, he does it year after year, and he's still 27, 28. Yeah, so arguably entering his prime yeah. right now. Yeah. And just everything about him, it's, like, calming to the goalie. When you see Victor Hedman there, it's like, okay, he's not going to make stupid plays going up. I don't have to worry about being on a two-on-one. He's a constant guy in the defensive end. And I think a lot of people probably thought Aaron Ekblad would probably be somewhere similar to this at his, this point in his career, but concussions and all that slowed him down. So uh, I think Florida Panthers and Tampa are going to have a great rivalry finally. So just imagine if Florida becomes a hotbed for hockey. Now, we've all we've said our top ten. I just want to see what you guys – like, who are your honorable mentions? Because, like, I had, like, a couple D where – I arguably had them like seven and then I'm like you know what they're not on the list so for me I'll just list a couple um he, he just won the Norris trophy Mark Giordano um this guy like the year he had was honestly perfect 74 points a plus 34 like what else can you really expect like he played 27 minutes when he signed that contract a couple of years back, everyone was saying this is like one of the worst contracts you could really look at. And his, I think this is the third year into his contract. He just explodes offensively, and there was no looking back for him. Another guy, underrated, workhorse, doesn't miss a lot of games to me. Keith Yandel last year, absolutely killed it last year. Um, arguably, he could be the guy that m- improves Aaron Ekblad and shows him the ways and says, you know what? You got to do this right. You got to do this. You got to improve this. And are, and of course, the other guy I want to quickly discuss, Shea Weber. I had him uh, just missing. Um, but when that guy is healthy, man, he's one of the scariest players to face. I had a uh, Doughty and Subban were very close to me. You said it perfectly. You said all the young guys are coming up, and it's not like they're getting worse. They just kind of stay like standard or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just simply being overpassed by young guys. They're still great players, great defensemen. You can make the argument that they're fifth or sixth on your list, and I wouldn't really go against them. But, yeah, for me, Doughty and Subban, it was tough to leave them out. I had, like, a few. Uh, Giordano for, like, getting the Norris. Tyson Berry, new leaf. Just everything he does offensively is amazing. It's just his defensive game sometimes gets him in trouble, but you live with it when you can see the points he can put up. Um, looking around, there's a lot. Ryan Suter had a great year, a surprise from Minnesota. Thought he finally like came back into like playing more of a consistent role, not getting injured all the time. And Zach Parise over there, so those two guys have been good and keeping it together. The so, crazy Ryan thing Suter. about this whole series we just did, and we're talking about young guys. You know, who we left out, and he's in the top 100 players. Duncan Keith, haven't even mentioned him <laughs> once. So that just proves our point that the young guys are coming up. Seth Jones, Morgan Riley, all these guys are just flying by. And I'm actually kind of surprised that you guys had Seth Jones over Drew Doughty. I still think Drew Doughty is a little better. But, like, after next season, I'm definitely probably going to say Seth Jones will be better. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, it's just it's, – it's fun to, like, do these lists because they're very similar. But at the same time, they're not. 
I had Drew Doughty sixth. You guys didn't have him on the list. I had Roman Yossi at five. You had him at number two. So I really, I, I really, I like that list. I think, I think we all did a good job. Um, now we got to go to the ring, talk about extreme rules. Um, this show to me was pretty good. I don't, I wouldn't say it was outstanding, but it was pretty good. Um, we're going to start off with Shinsuke defeating Finn Balor to win the Intercontinental title. Now, we all know Shinsuke was nowhere for literally two, three months. Um, would, is it safe to say that Shinsuke won back the Intercontinental title because of Eric Bischoff? Because that's the vibe that I've been getting. I hope that's the case because it means someone else would take over and then they'd say, hey, look at that guy sitting in the corner doing nothing. He's one of the best in the world. Let's put him on TV instead of just a random decision to give him the title and then take it off him in three weeks. So hopefully this is something fresh for Shinsuke and can move forward. Yeah, just all this time he's been all like, what the hell are they doing? This guy's a star and he's on pre-shows and tag teams with Rusev and like going nowhere. So I, I hope that Eric Bischoff's presence backstage is saying, you know what, we should use this guy, especially for the Intercontinental title. Uh, he was in Japan with that title and did a lot over there. Uh, maybe as a heel right now, they're, they can be in a position where they can change him face again and see what happens with him with the title. So I like this move for SmackDown. I feel like he needs to turn face. I don't know why. Even though he won the Intercontinental title and right now he has the momentum on his side, I just feel like he needs to turn face. I feel like there's a lot of guys on SmackDown that kind of need to hit the refresh button. Like we just saw with Kevin Owens, he turned face. And I think big things are coming for him. The same with Shinsuke. I feel like if he turned face, I think uh, big things would also ha- – like I think his Intercontinental title run would be pretty lengthy. I hope it is lengthy. Um I think the only problem is they need to find him a, a good opponent now because we all know that Finn Balor now is not in the picture. But um, Finn Balor, I thought that his Intercontinental title run was not that good. Um, but again, it wasn't his fault. Most of the time, it's not their fault. It's the way that they're booked. But um, I'm very excited to, to see Shinsuke on TV. And now he actually won a pretty good back and forth match with Finn Balor. And plus, both these guys have history. So... It was perfect. Um, next we had was for the uh, Cruiserweight title, Drew Gulak retains, defeating Tony Nese. Both these guys, honestly, probably the best Cruiserweights. Is it safe to say they're up there? Um, I love Drew Gulak as a character, one of the better heels. Um, Tony Nese, though, to me as a face, I don't know if I like it. I liked him as a heel, but um, what were you guys' thoughts on that match? I actually did not see the match. I missed the pre-show. But <laughs> if, if you told me this was the best match on the entire card, I would not be surprised. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, Nice is kind of like an X factor because everyone knows he's great, but they don't know what he can bring, like personality-wise. And uh, Gulak's one of the better wrestlers on the entire 205 live roster or in just the company in general. So love Gulak, love that he retained. Let's keep it going here. I like Drew Gulak, uh, really improved as a character, and now as a heel, he's been really good, and 205 Live needs someone like that just to carry it on, and uh, maybe they should put him back on the pre-preview, like the main card, like, snuff with this pre-show, let these guys shine, give them some matches, get the crowd invested in their 205 Live show, and maybe they'll see some momentum built off that. Wow. Next up we had was The Undertaker and Roman Reigns defeat Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre um to me the match was as good as it could have been but I don't like seeing Drew McIntyre 
in this feud. Um, so what were your thoughts on this? The result was pretty good. I thought the match was fine. Uh, they made The Undertaker look very strong here. And is it safe to say that he rebounded from his Goldberg match? Yeah. Uh, thank God he did. Because that was bad. <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about a like, guy being irresponsible and hitting his head backstage on the door and then coming up bleeding and concussed. Like, he actually can work with someone. Okay, they're alert during the match. They're not going to make help like, drop me on my head and I'll die. And that can be safe. They put him through that table. That was a good bump. Uh, Shane with the elbow. And Undertaker, he looked good. Uh, much better than last time. Like, I thought he was cardio-wise. Like, they actually kept his strengths and not exposing his weaknesses as much and just Shane McMahon taking the pin what a fresh like <laughs> sight to see like because it looked like he was never going to lose a match ever again uh, for a second like before the result happened I thought the worst thing that could happen here is Undertaker pinning Drew McIntyre that is the worst possible thing and then of course Taker thankfully pinned Shane McMahon uh, Pinello, what what were your thoughts on the match? Shane, is he uh, is it safe to say that his reign of terror may be coming to an end? I uh, really hope so, because yeah, he just hasn't been pinned like this year at all, <laughs> and it's been very surprising and it's throwing everyone off. So yeah, it was a nice nice uh, breath of fresh air. But the main takeaway was probably just before it ended when Taker was you know he was doing his throat slash and then Drew came up into the camera. And then remember when Rain steered yeah. him at the so they're probably setting up a match down the road, Taker and Drew. But the match was fine, did its job. I was happy to see it go on first just to kind of get it out of the way. But yeah, Taker, he definitely looked better in this. So if Drew and Undertaker, like just imagine Drew McIntyre goes to his old theme. Can you imagine how long the entrance would be to that plus the actual match? <laughs> I mean, I'd be praying that Drew would beat the Undertaker, but that's probably not going to happen. No. But it should be a good match. Let me go look strong and lose. My biggest fucking tire. That's a tough one. I hope so. Hopefully he doesn't have to do a last ride, but keep it simple. Choke slam, jump up and drop him. Maybe one tombstone. Don't have to go crazy. He did lift Goldberg, who was concussed and heavy, like, just dead weight. So, and Drew McIntyre, if he's alert, which would probably be a good 100% chance, I think he can muster him up. Up next we had was the Revival versus the Usos for the Raw Tag Titles. These are arguably the two greatest tag teams in the WWE. And, of course, they did not disappoint. The Revival uh, retained the tag titles. Was it the right decision for them to retain, or would you have given it to the Usos? Would have kept it on, uh, on the Revival. Actually, yeah. Uh, I was pretty surprised they did that, actually, because nothing's really been... They're not showcasing the Raw Tag Titles. No. Like, they'll be on every week, and then they won't be on for three months. And they go through those stretches. They're kind of in that stretch now. So I thought now would be the time that they would take it off them and give it to the Usos. So I was pleasantly surprised when they didn't do that. And, yeah, obviously those four together, just solid stuff. Money. Yeah, good match. Uh, I would hope they didn't have it on Raw every week. So it would have meant more for the Revival to retain. But it was a fine, like, nothing wrong with it. So it was a good win for the Revival. Up next we had was um, arguably the most interesting match. Uh, we saw the week before Cesaro answered the knock sat down and uh at first i was kind of surprised i was like all right like they built this up so much just so it's cesaro i was like okay that's kind of i don't know if this means that cesaro's gonna get like a push down the road or um i'm not really sure but 
perfect match for me. Um, our, these two guys are fantastic, Alistair Black and uh, Cesaro. I think that Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman both see them as X-Factors on both brands, and I think that both these guys are actually going to hopefully get some sort of love. And they did here. You know, they got the time. Uh, I think the original grade for the match was an A. And um, what were you guys' thoughts on both uh, guys' performances? Yeah, just, uh, I mean, you look at these two names and very little can go wrong. And j- just the, their styles meshed beautifully together. It was a solid 15-minute sprint. Black obviously had to get the win as much as we all love Cesaro. But I think the window was closed where he's going to explode through the roof. So we kind of know what we're expecting with him. So we were just looking at a great match here, and we got it. Would you be surprised if Alistair Black was uh, Shinsuke's next opponent? No, I would not be. Yeah. That would be awesome. Two, Especially in Toronto. Two of the better strikers in the game. I think that would be amazing, yeah. Um, like Again, like uh, Alistair Black, we haven't, he hasn't really had a match for, what, like two months, about a month? Yeah. So Since WrestleMania or the night out? Something like that. When he got okay. called up yeah. and he was a ricochet and then they fucked off with that. So um, it's been it's been a while. So I was kind of worried about, like, okay, well, not really worried, but I was more, how long is are they going to give this match? You know, is Aleister Black going to look dominant? Is he going to squash Cesaro? Is Cesaro going to win? Like, I don't really know. And then, of course, obviously, what Pinello said, Black needed the win more than Cesaro. He got it. Is he going to be a more significant star than Andrade, you think? I think they're on pace to now just because the promos they've been going on every week for the last two months so they're dedicating the time to him as of with Andrade it's like once a month he might get a match here and there and they don't exactly know yet but I mean you look at Andrade he has to be he's got to be used more same with Ali too yeah they're all in the same boat they're all amazing and they should all be carrying the load but for some reason I don't I don't know why he's not on every week but yeah, it was it was uh, it was very good to see Cesaro in this position, like because again, like he was in the tag division for so long, yeah. never really had a singles. The, to me, the last significant singles match that he had that I can remember was against Kevin Owens at SummerSlam, and that was a great match. And uh, that was Kevin Owens coming off beating John Cena in that feud. So, I mean, yeah, I think Cesaro needs a little more love. Match of the night, easily. Uh, next up, we had was. It was kind of disappointing. Bailey uh, defeating Nikki Cross and um, and Alexa Bliss to retain her SmackDown title. Believe it or not, no Sasha Banks did not come out. Are you guys surprised? Because I was kind of surprised with that. I thought Sasha for sure was going to come out and s- start a feud with Bailey uh, for SummerSlam, but I guess we're not getting that. She's still on MIA. Maybe a little bit surprised. The rumors have been floating around recently, but. Uh this match was kind of like the first match it was just fine it was something that was there if you take it out it wouldn't make much of a difference but uh it didn't hold the pay-per-view back i'd say i thought nikki cross looked great yeah she did but the match overall wasn't a big fan it was just uh, there's something about it. maybe sasha banks not coming out kind of took away from that because it seemed like they were teasing it the whole time that they were in the ring so i wasn't a big fan of it my biggest question is um what their thought process was taking the title off Becky so soon and giving it to Bailey and then just starting this stale program. Like, I really don't understand it. Like, if you're trying to improve the product, I, I don't know if I would have given it to Bailey. I mean, she did cash in the money in the bank and all that and won, but I don't know. I feel like something's missing. I feel like Bailey needs 
to improve something. We've been saying this for a while. Her character's been stale. Like, I feel like we need her to turn heel. Like, I, like I was expecting out of this feud a double turn. I was expecting Bliss, like, kind of like what. Remember that match with Del Rio and Ziggler when Ziggler had the concussions and Del Rio kept kicking him in the head, and it's like, okay, you do the double turn here. I, I thought Bailey would do something similar to that, like really go out there and really try to hurt Bliss. And it's like, okay, now we're starting to feel sympathy for Bliss. Bailey's acting reckless. She's the heel. Bliss is the face. And there you go. But, you know, Bailey's stuck in this face character. And it's like, I don't really, it's not interesting. And I think they need to change it up. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, up next was a pretty good last man standing match. Not going to lie. Strowman and Lashley, I thought that was pretty good. On, <laughs> Of course, Strowman wins. Lashley's not going to win this. Um, but Lashley, to me, it was arguably the best performance he's had. And, um, man, like, Strowman, too, uh, he was uh, running around. You could easily tell that this guy's now in shape, probably the best shape of his life. Um, does this mean that Strowman's going to get a big push down the line? I mean, I'm not really sure because two years ago, I was really high on Strowman. And now I'm looking at it. And I think his window's kind of closed. I feel like you have Lesnar again as the champ. Seth Rollins is still the ideal guy over Strowman. I don't really know if they should push Strowman right now. I think his time will eventually come around again. I don't know if right now makes much sense. But for the match, this this is all I need. Just two big slabs of meat going at each other. <laughs> You don't need to have fucking tug of wars and arm wrestling. You have these two 300-pound guys just kick the hell out of each other. That's what they did. It was awesome. I like Bobby Lashley in this. He was good. Yeah, just fighting around the arena, the crowd like actually starting to get on Lashley a little bit and start chanting from that uh, small portion at the end. Then Braun Strowman power slamming him down that uh, stairs, breaking through the wall like I love, lead man. I love that. That was hilarious. <laughs> and then that was it. So Braun wins. It's good. I don't think they're going to give him that world title push yet. Maybe WrestleMania, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I think that window no. is like, it's closing a little bit. See, like, the thing with Strowman, I don't think he's big enough of a star to get the WrestleMania rub and get that title at Mania. Two years ago would have been the time, but he lost... One F5 to Brock Lesnar, and that just killed his credibility and momentum right there. And then the rest was just kind of history. I mean, he, remember that feud he had with Roman Reigns carrying Raw for literally like three months and then nothing. So if Strowman does get a world title push eventually, I hope it's not Mania season. I want to at least say maybe November, October around there. Um, but yeah, I think sky's the limit for Strowman and Lashley. I think they both deserve at least... Another meaningful feud, not together for... Uh, heavy Machinery, Brian and Rowan versus The New Day, to Triple Threat. Um, even Heavy Machinery looked great. I think all three teams' chemistry was absolutely phenomenal. Um, did the- I was very surprised. I didn't see The New Day winning. Like, I didn't think you can make an argument that Brian and Rowan should lose the titles yet. But if you told me this match was the most exciting thing on the card, I'd say yeah. Yeah. So... In that case, it's the, it, uh, it did its job. I would have had them win it at SummerSlam. Keep it for like a bigger pay-per-view. This one, they could have maybe plant the seeds for that match. Maybe have them go over on Heavy Machinery, Daniel Bryan, and the New Day can come on and say, you didn't beat us, you beat the other team. So SummerSlam, we want to take the gold. And that's how they could have extended Daniel Bryan and Rowan's title reign. Because I think Daniel Bryan right now, when he cuts promos, it's doing 
the whole tag team division is putting them on the map right there because everyone's glued into that whole tag team title picture. So the wrong team, I thought, uh, won the match, but I like the New Day, so keep it going. <laughs> uh, honestly, Daniel Bryan, I'm not really sure how much longer he's going to be in the tag team division. I don't, I don't know. I don't see him being a big part of the tag division. I don't know why. I just feel like there's changes coming to Daniel Bryan. I feel like SummerSlam's a big, you know, it's a big event. I feel like they're going to give him that singles match. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Don't hate me here. Wouldn't be surprised if Daniel Bryan were to face like a John Cena. I wouldn't be surprised. So, I, I like the New Day winning. I predicted them to win because I don't see Daniel Bryan being a big part of the tag team division. He's too good for the tag team division. He has to be that heel, the number one guy on SmackDown again. And I think Eric Bischoff sees him as that guy, and I think he's going to do it again. Um, down the line, though, I, I, I want to see Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens for the title. Yeah. Like, easily, that's... Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, AJ Styles versus Ricochet. This is a dream match. You look at it at a pay-per-view, it's like, okay, we're going to get a treat here. It didn't disappoint. Um, Ricochet was unreal, man. Uh, AJ Styles even at times looked like he couldn't even keep up with Ricochet. He's like, give me some time. Like, fuck, like I'm fucking – but again, that was his heel character, the club coming out. And then, of course, the Styles clash off the top rope ends Ricochet's short title reign – the only thing that I am not happy about is these U.S. title reigns. They're very short. Hopefully, AJ has a nice long reign with the club. And uh, what were you guys' thoughts? Do you think AJ should have won? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it had nothing to do with the title. Because, you know, WWE, they kind of go with, like, wins and losses or just kind of there. It's not a big deal. But when you look at it on paper and you have Ricochet, who's the U.S. champ versus AJ Styles, I just kind of had this thing at the back of my mind. That, like, Ricochet, there's no way he's winning. Because that's AJ Styles. Yeah. And it's going to be an amazing match. But at the end of it, the club's going to get involved. And Styles is going to do his thing. He's going to be your new U.S. champion. You can kind of go from there. And it's about time they're finally using the club. You have a guy like Styles with the U.S. title that doesn't really get any love on a guy like him. I think it's finally time for uh, this title to get boosted up back to uh relevance yeah great match and then the club finally being back in this aj as a heel again the whole stable and with the u.s title it makes us prestigious because that title used to be a joke it used to be not even on the pre-show they just didn't want to put it on the card so now the intercontinental title they need that to be uh elevated again and the u.s title you're looking at it as a prestigious title so did its job <laughs> up next we had uh we saw the week before kevin owens do a pipe bomb and it was it was amazing. Um, he was basically he said everything that all the fans were thinking. Um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it on the podcast. Exactly what Kevin Owens said: get Shane off TV. Um, so he comes in here and he squashes Dolph Ziggler. Um, was this really worth it? And why Dolph Ziggler? Dude, they don't like Dolph. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. I just don't understand why you build Dolph Ziggler's credibility and then you. You get squashed. Dolph's not allowed to win. I think we know the drill by now. Yeah. I would just like to see Dolph <laughs> go back to NXT and just take, just go there one of the win the overs, win the NXT title, yeah, just attack take, everyone and take the title. It wouldn't be like yeah. a demotion too, yeah. like, it, like what Tyler Breeze did. He's putting yeah. on some. For, no one likes him in yeah. the back for some reason, and he always loses. I feel like well I feel like that, that should be an option for like 
a lot of superstars. Like they should do that. Like when they do the fucking brand split or whatever like, they call like, it. Hey, that time. Remember, remember when Seth was like building the Triple H shoot and he he, he went to NXT. Like I feel like WWE stars should do that a little more often. Just to like even like just to boost ratings. I know NXT is already unreal, but I'm saying just to make it a little more interesting. And yeah, I would like to see Ziggler just come out, interrupt Adam Cole, and just super kick the shit out of him, and just hold the NXT belt. And there you go. Because I don't know, like, are there a lot of credible guys right now in NXT? I think you have Gargano, you have Cole, you have Riddle, Velveteen. Velveteen. Is that like that's yeah? It's really that's it really for like the top tier. There's not, not a lot you of have guys. The street Profits on Raw. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty funny. Yeah, I like them. Uh, then, of course, we had Kofi Kingston. I think this was the biggest mistake on the show. Kofi Kingston retaining. And then there's no cash-in on Kofi Kingston. Um, I love Kofi Kingston. Don't get me wrong. He's had a great reign. I think it should have ended here. I think Samoa Joe should have gotten the, the WWE title. Um, this guy deserves it. Like he, he comes so close every time, and he never wins. And the biggest question for me is, when is it going to happen? Or is it going to happen? Because Kofi Kingston, to me, I feel like his run, it's, it's coming to an end very soon. Yeah. I don't see him being the top face, especially even now. I think Kevin Owens already surpassed him as the top face on SmackDown. So to me, it's only a matter of time. Who do you think is going to take it off of Kofi? I think it should have been Joe. Uh, yeah, I thought it should have been Joe too. But I think when Joe... I think he will eventually win, but it'll be like when Bray Wyatt won. And it'll be like, okay, yeah, you you got it. But it's it won't time. be long, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, we don't really care because it should have happened years ago. But yeah, good stuff. But I don't, like, the Kofi reign for me, I don't think it's been good. Oh, okay. Because, like, I don't see him as that kind of guy, and they haven't really been treating him as that kind of a guy. And the second him and Joe started teaming up to work together... And Joe is just—I love Kofi too, but he's Joe's just so much better, and he looks like a killer. And this would have been the perfect time to take it off him, and I think they missed an opportunity. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I'll lean over you. Just like the buildup was good, the promos were really good. The match wasn't the greatest, and for a WWE title, you want that match to be talked about. So Kofi's title reign, I do think it's going to come to an end, and I think the person to take him off, take it off him, is Shane McMahon. The best in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so you so you think we're gonna get Shane versus Kevin Owens for the belt eventually? Yeah, down there. I think that's they're trying to build that feud, but I think that's gonna be the way that they make it more meaningful. Have Shane beat Kofi at SummerSlam and then have Kevin Owens maybe if Shane doesn't get tired of it, maybe hopefully in three years we'll have Kevin Owens win that well what okay well what if shane mcmahon like doesn't face kofi at SummerSlam? like who would you say is is it is it joe again we're gonna get joe versus kofi again because i feel like this was just an underwhelming ending that's that was for me the biggest upset it's like oh kofi wins and like what really comes of it like it, it, they missed up it was a huge missed opportunity and i don't really know what to say about kofi going forward like i don't know who his next opponent is I don't know like if he's the right guy to go over. So there's just a lot of questions that you have to ask and when you ask questions about a rain it's, it's not it's not good. So like I would have said a couple months ago that Big E's the guy to take it off him, but now that the tag champs and the New Day is very much still together. So the heels are uh, very limited and I think Joe should have been the guy, but it's very a shame that we all say that Kofi's reign has not been that good. 
That's the baby face trap, though. Yeah. Because they just kind of have it, and they're like, ah, I'm going to take on all comers and all that bullshit, and it's very systematic the way the script is, and there's not much freedom there. That's why everyone loves heels. They want to fix it. Kofi versus John Cena at SummerSlam. You'll get everybody cheering for Kofi again. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Um, then, of course, we had the main event. Winner take all. Seth and Becky versus Lacey and Corbin. What were you guys' thoughts on this? I thought this match was actually pretty entertaining, not going to lie. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It was okay, but I think it was a little too predictable. Oh, yeah. I, it was, I did not see Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans winning. <laughs> I, for Lacey Evans, just the matches before, I didn't see them wanting to put the title on her. So if it's a winner-take-all, you would have to think they're not going to win the match. And Baron Corbin, even though he's been a good heel, I still don't think they want him as champ just yet. So Seth, that after he hit Becky Lynch with his finisher, Seth Rollins, I guess that's all what it, it took that, just to get some attitude in him. And then... Curb stomping was over. Underwhelming ending, I thought. But I like how Corbin hit the finisher in the crowd. And he just looked at Seth Rollins. Yeah, what are you going to do? Didn't he say, like, what are you going to do, little bitch, or something? Yeah, something like, like that. <laughs> it was, they blurred it out, and it was good. Yeah. The, the match was fine, but that was the clear highlight, and I actually laughed so hard. <laughs> but yeah, there was no way, like, you're watching that match and thinking, they're going to put two world titles on Lacey Evans and Baron Corbin. Like, I'm sure they'll get spots in the match and it'll be fine, but they're, they're not going to roll with it into SummerSlam. So, yeah, pretty predictable, but the match was fine. And then, of course, Lesnar comes out and cashes in on Seth Rollins and becomes your three-time Universal Champion. I'm not going to lie, guys. They fucked. I, I think they fucked up. I think Lesnar should have cashed in on Kofi Kingston earlier. See, th- it's so perfect. You have Samoa Joe choke out Kofi after the match. And then you just have Brock come out and pick up the pieces. But he doesn't even have to do an F5. Just has to come out and pin him, and that's it. I, I, don't, I don't... Why? Why did it have to be the universal title? Three times. Yeah. I thought it would have been perfect, too, if they did that. Samoa Joe choking him out. He comes out, Brock pins Kofi, and then at SummerSlam, you can have Brock, Kofi, and Samoa Joe in there a triple threat. I don't think they want to put him on SmackDown until, like, they go to Fox, because I think Fox really wants Brock on their uh, program once they move over, so... I think that's why they held off on it, but I think eventually he'll go there. But I know there's no like brand split anymore. Does that mean Brock's gonna have the universal title on SmackDown? I think there might be. They'll probably have some sort of brand split again once they eventually have their two networks on Monday and Friday. But for now, I think they're just gonna keep it on Brock. I'm just happy he cashed in on Seth because this cringe, crappy storyline that they forced on everyone. It kind of ruined both Becky and Seth's momentum. Going into WrestleMania, they were like easily yeah, the best, the yeah. hottest acts on for men and women. Everyone is invested in them, and then you put them together, and then it's like they're forced on TV that these stupid promos together, and they don't seem comfortable, and it just seems very off. And it led to them having matches where they were afterthoughts on the pay per view. So now with Brock taking the title, can have something different. But, yeah, just wasn't a big fan of this whole Seth Rollins title read. Can we just talk about that for a second, how we were all fucking screaming and crying for Becky and Rollins to win? And now that they finally win after a month, everyone's saying, okay, this has to change because (laughs) they're using their victories. And, like, the aftermath is just so bad. I think it was just the time where you look at Rollins. He didn't have, like, any comp... Okay, you have to look at... So, Lesnar holding the belt for so long tarnishes the belt 
Then he, we want Rollins so bad to win because the belt is part-time. Seth then wins, and then all of a sudden we look at this, the Raw, and it's like there's really not a lot of heels that he can face. And who do they pick? They pick Baron Corbin to face Seth Rollins. So I'm not blaming Baron Corbin for his terrible reign. It's just there were not a lot of – like when they put AJ Styles against Seth Rollins for the belt – I felt like that was a cry for help, yeah. and I felt like that, that was desperation because of AEW and coming up and saying, okay, we need Styles and, and Rollins to go, and even that match to me, like, it was good, but it was underwhelming. Somehow it was underwhelming. Seeing AJ lose to Seth was like, it's like, oh, is that the right move? It's like, <laughs> damn. And then, and then Seth just like, aligns with Becky and then Lacey, and we all agreed that Lacey wasn't ready. And then this all happened, and now Brock again is the champion. And it's just like, is this really a refresh, though? Is it really a refresh? Because I don't see Brock losing the title to Mania again. That's just me. I think he'll lose it, but I think this is good that Paul Heyman's in charge of Raw because now he gets to work. He works already close with Lesnar, but now that he's in charge of the show, he can look at other guys and say, okay, once we build him up to face Brock, it won't be horribly booked creative-wise. I mean, I've only come in charge of this process, and when Brock eventually loses, it will help lead to like future programming. So I like that Paul Heyman's at least in charge of this universal title reign booking. I like – I'm a big Seth Rollins fan. I'm probably one of the bigger Seth Rollins fans. It's just like there's times when you look at someone as a superstar and he's a face, and it's like you've done it all. You can't be a stale baby face at the top, and you have a burn-it-down theme – like you, you just can't be that baby face, you know, like that. Like he was just too baby face, man. Like that week when he was hitting people with the steel chair. Yeah. To, like that was that perfect. Was, that was, yeah. yeah, that was good. And just now that Paul Heyman's in charge and Brock's the champ, you know what I want to see? I want to see what Vince did with AJ. I want to see Paul go up to Seth every week and just bring out his vicious side and really push his buttons and see what Seth does. And I want Seth to be a heel again. And I want, like, I know Brock's the heel. But I wouldn't be surprised if Brock turns face all of a sudden. I really yeah. wouldn't be surprised. Looks like the direction, though. Yeah, so hopefully Seth, um, you know, hopefully down the line uh, he improves because he needs that momentum back because it is SummerSlam time and it's a big part of the year for WWE. But now we're going to go to Raw. Lesnar kicked it off. Paul Heyman basically saying, oh, I told you guys that he was leaving Philly with the belt. And we're going to have a 10-man battle royal later on to determine – this was whatever, you know, again, Lesnar really not saying anything. Um, typical Paul Heyman, you know, hyping up the crowd, hyping up the show. He is the hype man. And then, of course, we had Ricochet and the Usos beat the Revival and Robert Roode. I don't know why Roode was in this. Was does does wow. this mean Roode is going to face Ricochet in the near future? I don't really understand the six-man tag, but it was great to see Robert Roode there. Um I don't know what the hell they're doing with the Viking Raiders, but they uh, squashed two jobbers, and I'm tired of seeing this on Raw. Like, why do they have to do this? I thought we were past this. Yeah. The bring local talent in. I think they've them. had too many local talent matches. They need to have, like, actual talent matches. They got to get it going there on that tag feud. Now, this, this next thing I want to talk about, Cedric Alexander defeating Drew McIntyre. This is huge. Um, I don't know what this means for Drew. I don't know what this means for Cedric, but Cedric definitely got a refresh. Uh, Paul Heyman obviously sees big things with Cedric. What do you guys think on this one? 
I loved it. Uh, a lot of people will say that Drew shouldn't have lost to a guy like Cedric because he doesn't really have any credibility. But Cedric being, you know, uh, how talented that he is, and to him to squeeze a win over Drew, you build some credibility through there, and then you can finally, you know, showcase him on Raw going forward. And, I mean, just look at Cedric, what he's done in 205 and his rise. Like, he kind of got shafted the way Ali's been booked. How he's been, not shoved down our throats, but he's been on every week and he's been putting on solid matches. Raw's just kind of been there. So if this is his chance where he can break through, it's only going to be good for him. I think this could even be a battle for maybe Survivor Series. You can have, like, okay, Cedric Alexander just got this win. We can build this. Few. This could be also, like, a backup plan, I think. I mean, I like it for Cedric. He was one of the athletic. But, yeah, like, going over a guy like Drew McIntyre, I think, is only going to do wonders for him. And a lot of people say that it's a big loss for Drew, but he just squeezed out a victory, and it made Drew look worse. We had Samoa Joe defeat Finn Balor, and then, of course, finally... Fine. I like it. The crowd was really into it. They liked it a lot. So maybe Bray Wyatt does this every week. He comes out on Raw. Next Just week he'll yeah, attack someone on SmackDown and uh, slowly build something. But I really like this whole refresh on Bray Wyatt. Yeah, this was this was perfect. You didn't need anything more than this. Just come out after a match, attack them, let the crowd know that you're here and what you're about. And that's what they did. I just loved how they made Joe look so strong here. You like like they made him look dangerous. I was pissed off because even when he he won the match, they didn't. Yeah, I was like, "Okay, get out, he's get still out." Lost because he went to immediately attack Finn, and then Finn got the better of him right after. So it kind of just cancels out the victory. Yeah, I mean, he I wrecked him during the match, though. Yeah, I want to I want to say Samoa Joe is going to face Kofi at SummerSlam. I think I think that's what I want personally. I don't want to see Shane. Fuck that. <laughs> but. uh yeah, I love Bray Wyatt coming out finally. I've said this for a while. He had to come on TV finally. If this means we're going to get a schizo character where he's, you know, himself and then he has the mask, I'm not really sure. It's, you know what I want to see? I want to see that character on Raw and I want to see the other character on oh, SmackDown. He comes out with the sweater and just attacks a heel. Yeah. And he says, Get, he's my friend. And then the Firefly Funnel song plays. And the next yeah. night he comes out of the mask. Yeah, that's like, I think that would be pretty cool. But yeah, nothing but positives here of Bray Wyatt coming back. Um, and then, of course, we had Ryder squashing Canales and then Maria saying, you know, <laughs> I don't know what this is going to I don't know what this is doing, but it's good to see him on TV. Uh, he's very underrated. He's uh, yeah, he's very underrated. Impact star, Ring of Honor star, WWE nothing. Yeah, that's usually how it goes, though. Um, <laughs> then we had the club defeating the Lucha. <laughs> I can't even say it. The Lucha house party. I mean, it's great to see the club on TV, but I don't know why the Lucha house party. You had to have the six-man tag, right? Three and three. <laughs> uh, for me, this was a high-profile squash. It was, yes. Lucha, they're obviously, they're all very good. And uh, you, the club and the club weren't going to lose. No. Nope. But you can still put on a 10-minute match where it's very entertaining and you can hook the crowd in, but still get the result you were expecting. Yeah. Everything you said. Let's nail it. Perfect. I can't see Lucha House Party getting a win. I imagine they did, though. Like, my God. Oh, God. What a Backlash. way to kill someone's momentum. Yeah. Um, then, of course, we had Natalia become the number one contender. Uh, she beat Bliss. I don't even remember who else. It was Bliss, Natalia. I mean, Bliss, Naomi, Naomi and Carmella. Yeah, Carmella. That's who it was. I think I thought Carmella probably would have won this. Um, something fresh. But they gave it to Natalia because it's going to be in Toronto. 
Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm convinced that's the reason why. Yeah. Um, I think this is very underwhelming. I know both Becky and Natalia are great in-ring workers, but I just don't see this really working out. I don't see Natalia winning the title. Like, if she does win the title, I'll actually be very upset, even though it is in Toronto and she's from Canada and the whole nine yards. I just don't see fans, even though she's from Toronto, I don't see fans cheering her over Becky Lynch. There's just there's no way that's happening. And with Natalia, too, like, that match wasn't the greatest. No. The fans were chanting Goldberg, this is awful. Like, it was way too long. It was, like, I think close to 20 minutes on Raw, this match. If it was, like, eight minutes or something, it would have done its job. But Natalia's promo, I thought, was really good after, telling Becky, I'm going to pull that horseshoe up out of your ass and beat at you with her at that SummerSlam. And <laughs> then Becky comes up and saying, I don't know what the hell she was saying, but something stupid. And then they start pushing each other. I thought that was good, but... It was. It took away from that match. That match took away from that moment, and I think it killed it. Any momentum they had. If I would, when I saw the four girls for the promoting the match later in the night, I'm like, I wouldn't have any of these people in this match. <laughs> I was not excited at all. Like, if you're gonna switch it up, put like four people you haven't seen before, because like we've seen Naomi as a two-time champion. And I don't remember anything she did as champion. It was just totally irrelevant. And she won it at Mania, too. Carmella's been doing nothing forever. Bliss lost fucking 24 hours prior. So, like, why isn't Nikki Cross in that contenders match? I actually thought she would have been facing uh, Bailey for the belt, like, at SummerSlam. I, I'm pretty convinced it's going to be Nikki Cross versus Bailey. I want to see that. Um, but again, if Nikki Cross was in this one and she inserted against Becky, that's amazing. That's fresh. That's something we haven't seen. And Nikki Cross has actually probably been one of the more, like most improved people coming in this year, because last year, even at Royal Rumble time, it's like, oh, she's a big name, but she's not getting the attention she needs and deserves. Like she's looked at kind of as an afterthought. And then finally with Bliss, it's like, okay, Nikki Cross is now, she's not that psycho character anymore. She's kind of you know, uh, we all know that Bliss is going to, you know, betray Nikki Cross. And so it's either going to be Nikki Cross versus Bailey or Nikki Cross versus Alexa Bliss at SummerSlam. And hopefully Nikki Cross goes over either way. But uh, up next we had was Ms. TV with Dolph Ziggler. I is at SummerSlam. I'm all for it. I know, like, it's we've seen it a million times. But it's, like, if it's not broken, you know, like, you just got to keep going with it, you know. Um, so... I know probably that's because The Miz is absolutely outstanding. Both guys are outstanding. And um, if this uh, leads to a program, who do you guys think is going to win it? Oh, The Miz has to. Like, I even though Ziggler, like, hasn't won, I just, The Miz needs a win, I think. Yeah, it'll probably be The Miz. But um, I don't think there's anything that these two can say that'll make me more invested now than I would have been back in 2016. Because their feud for the IC title that was amazing. Yeah, when was the brand split first happened, yeah. it was yeah, it was amazing, and they did a lot there. And they told a lot of stories. I don't know how they can top that. I'm sure everything will be good, but I don't think it'll be their 2016 feud. I just think if uh, if they're gonna go back to a feud, maybe they got to bring up their re- their uh, their relevance to each other and be like, hey, we're both not relevant. Let's prove these people wrong. Like I know I'm a eight-time Intercontinental Champion. You're like a five-time. I don't know how much Ziggler's won. I think it's five or six. But The Miz and Ziggler are arguably the two greatest intercontinental champions of the modern era. And if you give them time, they're just going to knock it out of the park. So um, even though we're not invested in it, like storytelling-wise, that we've seen it all before, 
I wouldn't be surprised if, like, similar to what Daniel Bryan and Wade Barrett did all those years ago at SummerSlam, it's kind of like, oh, it's a singles match, but it was amazing. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is a, a match of the night contender at SummerSlam. Um, and then, of course, we had our truth, <laughs> truth win back the 24-7 title, arguably the most entertaining thing on TV. He's now an eight-time 24-7 champion. Is this belt really going to be there for the long run? I hope so. This has been my favorite part of Raw since they introduced it. Drake this, Maverick's a fucking hero. He is. Our truth is hilarious. <laughs> EC3 with the red cup, just running around looking like he doesn't care. There's, you give people things to do, and then you pay attention to all the little things, and I'm very invested in this more than I should be. <laughs> yeah, our truth again with the title, called him Hornswoggle again. <laughs> he takes the title <laughs> off him and leaves. Like, our truth has done so much in his career, and he reinvented himself a little bit. And now in WWE, when you think there's nothing for him, he creates gold. So our truth has really changed his whole uh, perception about this title. I love it. Um, and then, of course, we had the main event, the ten, uh, the ten man battle royal to determine who's going to face Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And we had guys like Cesaro, Ray. Uh, Orton, Reigns, Strowman, Lashley, all these guys, and they go with Seth Rollins. And uh, I think to me, this was the most underwhelming result. A lot of people were like, oh, I want Cesaro, I want Lashley, I want Strow. Like, basically, these, a lot of people even said they wanted Reigns over Rollins. And that's like, how many times do you want to see that? So, um, what are you guys' thoughts on Rollins winning? I just. Uh... I take it over Reigns. I would too, but that's like literally it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, was telling Alino on the way here. I feel like a Cesaro or an Orton would have been. His Absolutely. fans wouldn't see like they wouldn't see it coming. That's that's really all I got. Like I'm sure the Rollins and Lesnar match it'll be fine. Obviously, we know what Brock matches look like by now, even though they don't happen often. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for a showcase like SummerSlam, I don't know if they would have gone with an Orton or a Cesaro. Maybe they want to keep it a little more high profile and stick with the theme. So I guess Seth and Brock it is. I just feel like you had a missed opportunity here. And you go with the most underwhelming result. If Paul Heyman really is in charge, I feel like the perfect person would have been Cesaro because Cesaro was a a, a former Paul Heyman guy. You could easily have maybe a double turn at SummerSlam. You could even maybe even have Cesaro win the, the Universal title and just throw everybody up it's like holy shit i never thought this guy would actually get the moment even randy orton he hasn't been on tv for a while it would have been pretty interesting to see orton versus lesnar again even though it probably would have got backlash the match quality probably would not have been as good but yeah even 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 uh, alino you said uh, bobby lashley versus uh brock lesnar would have been arguably a dream match for a lot of people but and it would have been a very physical bout too but uh I'm, i just feel very underwhelmed that seth won yeah, I absolutely hate this entire feud now. Like, you're going to go again. We saw this at WrestleMania, the whole lead up to that. This is SummerSlam now, your second biggest event, and you're giving everyone the same thing. Like, you can offer something different, like a Lashley. Even if it would be a one-match thing, something different. Cesaro would have been amazing. Have oh. him and uh, Lesnar go at it. Orton even, too. He was, uh, go back to his legend killer gimmick. 15 years ago, he beat uh, Chris Benoit, Chris from Edmonton. <laughs> for the title in Toronto and just imagine the story 15 years later he faces Brock Lesnar for the title I think that could have been a, a much better 
a more appealing story than Seth Rollins for that 10,000th time. I actually forgot about Lashley. Now that I'm thinking about it, that would have made much more sense. And you can have like a style match that him and Braun put on yeah, at yeah. Extreme Rules. Just kick the hell out of each other for 10, 15 minutes and then whatever. Let Lesnar can get the win. But the point is you switch it up for a high-profile pay-per-view and then you can tell fans, all right, maybe we're all in on this guy. And that's Isn't that why Bobby came here in the first yeah. place? To be a main event yeah. guy and take on Lesnar, and then they just kind of shit on him since. I just I don't understand why they had to go with Rollins here. Like we've seen Rollins basically, he okay, he was the Royal Rumble favorite in October. He won the Rumble, he won the title, actually squashing Lesnar at Mania pretty much, and then you have the cycle again where Lesnar gets Money in the Bank because of the rating. Paul Heyman says, oh, we're going to have the 10-man battle royal, and you basically go with the least appealing option winning, and champ, we were all, you know, bashing on his reign, and I just feel like it's a very missed off ad, so amazing. And that will probably be the main event, too, which is, like, yeah. it's a little bit of a buzzkill when you think about the whole of the, they did the Fatal 4-Way at SummerSlam a couple years ago. That yeah, was that amazing. Was, yeah. Joe and Rain, like, they should do something like that. Have, that like, was all a, the monsters go at it. Yeah. Put Samoa Joe, Lashley in there, Roman, Strowman. Like, oh, like if this, <laughs> like if this results in like we're gonna get like Strowman versus Lashley again, or like Reigns versus Lashley, like I don't want that. Yeah. I'd rather just have them inserted in the, the main picture, yeah, especially Lashley. And, and if there's anyone that proved it, especially after Extreme Rules, it is Bobby Lashley that can go up against Brock Lesnar and be like, yeah, I'm a big threat. Like I took Braun Strowman to the limit. Yes, I lost, but I went through a freaking like went through the stage and like all this stuff so like i feel like they missed out big time and and you have a multi-man match you don't have to have lesnar or rollin you can have like samoa joe take the pen because they <laughs> clearly don't like them and you're have some with that like i don't like this one-on-one for the title at SummerSlam. well that's it for this week guys make sure to st- if not goalies will maybe do right wing i want to save centers for last because that's going to be Oh, it's be very tough to do. And then, of course, Extreme Rules was fun. Uh, up next is SummerSlam. Uh, we're all-